All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, thank you, buddy. Uh, chapter 7, you can tell I was having a rough time this morning. The pollen is still around, I guess, amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Um, I was going to review, but we've had seven or six, six messages on why the family is important. And uh, one of them is because it's the foundation of society. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, uh, when Abraham was going to uh, be the seed of a great nation, he said, I know that you'll rule your family well. And uh, folks, your Christianity rises no higher than your level of Christianity in the home. Your family is very, very important. Uh, Genesis 18 says this, matter of fact, as goes the family, goes the church, and as goes the church, goes society. And uh, folks, our country is being destroyed one family at a time, and there's the fractured family, uh, and there's children that are uh, fatherless, and probably some have no mothers either, and they're just uh, running wild in the streets and have no hope without finding Christ. And so it's the future for our children. I preached on that last last Sunday, I believe. And um, it's uh, also the focus of the devil. He fights it, Genesis chapter 3. But it's the foundation uh, that God has established, and that's Genesis chapter 2. And so we come to the point now that my favorite verse on the family in the Word of God. I know Genesis chapter 24 is a powerful verse on the family, about two becoming one and uh, leaving and cleaving and being one. But I love this verse, and I discovered it, uh, of course, reading my Bible, but also at these couples retreats we have once a year. And uh, we had a theme in uh, 2013, the last time we met in the little riverside uh, chalets. Um, uh, and uh, we outgrew the meeting room. <clears throat> and now we're uh, at the Blue, Blue Mountain Mist uh, bed and breakfast for the next year. But uh, this was the theme for the whole week. And so let's stand on the Word of God, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel. Now listen to this. Here's the, th here's the definition of marriage. Here's the definition of spiritual oneness. It says, As being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The Bible tells me that if you're not right with God and right with each other, at home, then your prayers will be hindered. And the devil knows that. If you regard iniquity in your heart, he'll not hear you. So let's pray. You may be seated as I pray, and let's ask God to bless our families, uh, bless those children that are coming next week. Uh, some don't have families, but they'll find by the foundation of the Word of God they can have one in the future. Amen. Father, bless this message. God, I just want to thank you for your amazing grace, wonderful matchless grace. And Lord, we know it's the grace of God that provides us a, a place of honor and respect, and mutual submission. As we preached on last week, Lord, uh, filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God that you might get the glory. And Lord, as, as we preached last Wednesday, it's a fountainhead of love. God, it's a place of love, but Lord, thank you, dear God, that you describe our marriages and our families, 
as a place of grace. So God help us to make it that as we yield our bodies and our soul and our minds to the wonderful, matchless, powerful grace of God. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed these seven messages on the family. Uh, I believe, folks, as I said, the first message is the foundation for society. It's the foundation. I don't care how much you make on your job. If things are not right at home, you're not going to be happy. I don't care how many classes you teach or how many days you deke or how many times you preach. If things are not right at home, they won't be right at the church. It's the fountainhead of God's love. But I want to show you the definition, and, and, and this ought to be the gold in every marriage and every would-be marriage. Some of you singles listen now as if you're married. And that is that it's, it's a place of grace. And grace means much more than just being saved, but thank God it's a place where two saved people ought to be filled with the Spirit of God, overflow, and meet each other's needs. And we minister grace, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, to the hearer. But, you know, it's always better to experience the grace of life with others. Uh, that's why a church is so important. Uh, it's a fellowship. It's a family. It's a building. It's a bride. And, folks, I want to tell you something. Your church needs you, but you need your church. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about this family. And, folks, it's wonderful to have the grace of God experienced in a local biblical church, uh, then also with your family, with your family. Uh, it's great to have the grace of God flowing from heart to heart and from parents to children and children to parents. And then it's, of course, with your spouse. Two becomes one. And folks, you cannot give out of emptiness. We preached on that last week. The evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God is you have joy, you have thanksgiving, contentment, and you, and, you, and you have mutual submission in the fear of God, and then wives submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, lead your wife as Christ loved the church. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So the grace of life, what a blessing. What an opportunity to spend your, the rest of your life with your mate, your spouse, experiencing the grace of life. Think about it just a second. And you know, there's a lot of manipulation and maneuvering uh, there's, there's divorce on every hand. Uh, I believe it's 60% now of all marriages end in divorce. Uh, folks, God help us. There's hundreds of thousands of children that are raised by one parent because of that. And folks, the grace of life can make a difference. So the grace of life is experienced together first and foundationally by saving grace, saving grace. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, turn with me there real quick. You know the verse, but Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, all of us have memorized it, but I want you to look at it. The whole book of uh, Ephesians is about the uh, unmeasurable riches of Christ's grace. But Ephesians chapter 2 says you're dead in your sins and trespasses, that you walk according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air and, you, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It says, among whom also you had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, listen to this, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature as the children of wrath, even as others. Now that's a pretty sad situation there 
when your, your nature is wrath, uh, when you're a child of, uh, of disobedience, and when you're, uh, according to the course of this world, you live your life. And according to the prince and power of this air, you live your life. A puppet of hell, I mean a, a servant of Satan, a slave of Satan. When you get saved, thank God, this is what takes place in verse 4. But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us. Don't you love that divine conjunction? But God. Where would you be tonight if it wasn't for God? Where would your marriage be tonight if it wasn't for God? Where would your family be tonight if it wasn't for the grace of God? It says, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together. With Christ. By grace are you saved. Ephesians 2, 5, you ought to underline this, that you were dead in your sins, but you've been quickened, quickened together with Christ. And then it just says in parentheses, by grace are you saved. You know what that's saying? You are a dead man or a dead woman or a dead child before you got saved, spiritually speaking. You were dead. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't baptize yourself into the kingdom of God. You couldn't... Uh, take the Lord's Supper to, give, to make you a uh, uh, part of the kingdom of God. It was by grace through faith that you got saved, plus nothing, minus nothing. I believe the grace of God starts at salvation. When he called you, then it says this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Heirs together of the grace of God. Think about it. That ought to be the description of, of your spiritual relationship with your wife, with your husband, with your children. Then it says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourself, this is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's saving grace. Both husband and wife must be saved to be heirs together of the grace of life. Now I know that's fundamental, and I know that sometimes uh, seems too simple, but I want to tell you something. Two lost people can never meet each other's needs. The best you can do is manipulate. The best you can do is maneuver. The best you can do is try to get your way. And folks, it's an up and down relationship. We need to be saved. We need to be spirit-filled. And we need to be serving from the overflow. Then second of all, I see sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. Heirs together of the grace of God. What is sustaining grace? Sustaining grace is when you're tested, God's faithfulness comes through. And let me just say this. If you've been married over two weeks, you'll be tested. Some of you argued on your honeymoon, and you said, what in the world did I marry? You've, uh, some of you got upset with each other. Some of you pouted, panicked, and didn't pray on your honeymoon. Some of you came home and said, oh my goodness, this is going to take a lot of work. This is going to take a miracle of God, amen? And folks, that was on the honeymoon. And now some of us have been married 100 years, and, and we still have battles. I'm saying you're going to have disappointments. You're going to have attacks. There's some ups and downs in the Christian life. But I want to tell you something, folks. What keeps you steady and what keeps you forgiving, I'll get to that point in a minute, and what keeps the... Uh, the life in your marriage is the sustaining grace of God. Heirs together of the grace of God. Two saved people, but also two people 
that are sustained by the grace of God. Think about it. You'll quit in the flesh. I said you will give up in the flesh. You will be overcome in the flesh, but by the grace of God, you can continue when you don't feel like it. Say amen. How many of you glad that you've got a wife that's full of the grace of God when you live like a heathen uh, in your past life, men? Praise God, amen? Or when you acted like one, or when you backslid, or when you was grumpy and gripey and complaining, you had a wife that was full of the grace of God. Let me reverse that. Maybe you married a gripe. Maybe you married a grump. Maybe you married a pessimist. Maybe you married a defeatist. But I want to tell you something. Aren't you glad, ladies, that you had a husband full of the grace of God to put up with you when you were so immature and so fickle and such a mama's baby that you couldn't get along with your own husband? Now that I got your attention, we all need the grace of God. Amen? And you know we do. And some of you that have been married several years should say amen, but you're afraid to. And so, folks, it's, it's, it's sustaining grace. Trials are not a waste. They should be a, a time of wisdom. I want you to turn to this uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I've had to recently um, t uh, change Bibles to a large print Bible. I shouldn't even say that from the pulpit, but I do. And now, now it's so big I can't even hold it. But anyway, it's a big Bible, amen? A, but I can see it, and I'm going I'm to focus in on this. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you to look at it. You know the story very well. In verse 9, um, excuse me, let's go on down to about verse 10. It says to, uh, in 2 Corinthians, I'm in first, excuse me, and uh, it's the first mistake I've made in 47 years of preaching, and that's a lie. But look at, look at verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it may depart from me. And that's a thorn in the flesh. And some people said the thorn in the flesh was his wife. Now, I want to say this. Apostle Paul wasn't married, so it wasn't his wife. It was a physical infirmity. Some people say, well, it was blindness. On the, uh, on the road to Damascus, he was blind. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. And I'll tell you why. Because he wants your thorn to identify with his thorn. And God's grace is greater than any thorn you have in your life. Aren't you glad of that? It says in verse 9, and he said unto me, after he prayed three times, now all you charismatic to want to demand God to heal you, sometimes it's not God's will for you to be healed. Matter of fact, it's God's will for you to go to heaven. And folks, I want to tell you something. A lot of people think they can demand God. You don't, you don't name it and claim it. You let God name it, then you claim it. Say amen. And the perfect will of God sometimes is for you to go through some things that you'd never imagine. It's a tough pill to swallow for a 12-year-old to be diagnosed with diabetes. Now, wait a minute. His parents have given up everything in the United States. They're going over to South Africa, and they've been faithful. Why did this happen, you might say? Why would it happen to a little fellow that's in the perfect will of God with his parents? I'll tell you why. Because verse 9 says, my grace is sufficient. For thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Most gladly, isn't it great when God changes your prayer and you willingly pray it? It says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures 
in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessity, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. I have become a fool in glory, and ye have compelled me, for I ought to have uh, been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind in the very chiefest apostle, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of the apostle were wrought among you in all patience, and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. He says, I'm a man that had apostolic gifts. I had signs and wonders going, going on in my life, and God gave me a thorn. God gave me a humbling thorn. After I went to heaven, whether by the flesh or spirit I cannot say, folks, God said, I'm going to put something on your life to keep you right where you need to be, and that's at the foot of the cross, humility. I'm going to tell you something, friend. We need the grace of God when times go bad. We need the grace of God when our health fails. We need the grace of God when our loved ones uh, are very sick and our wife is sick and our husband's sick and our children get sick. But folks, we need the grace of God during these persecuting times, as Paul said, during these perilous times, during these wicked times. Folks, I want to tell you something. There's an all-out assault on marriage. There's an all-out assault on the definition of marriage. It's not... Man with man and woman with woman, it's one man, one woman for a lifetime for God's glory and not for your joy. But it's a great joy when you're heirs together of the grace of life. So listen, trials are not to be wasted. Don't waste your trouble. Look at James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1. I never used this before, but I'm going to try it, amen? Thumb index. James chapter 1. No, I don't help. Just find it. Amen. Look at verse 5. One of the greatest verses in James. James 1 5. Now listen. It says this uh, there's divers, um, temptations, tribulations, trying of your faith, work is patience. Patience have its perfect work, perfect and entire, wanting nothing, makes you more mature. But look at verse 5. Uh, five, if any of you lack wisdom, now let's keep it in context, class. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, it's the only thing liberal about God, and abradeth not, that means he won't fuss at you when you ask for wisdom, and it shall be given them. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers like a wave of the sea, driven with the winds and tossed, for let not that man think that he can receive anything of God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now what's that saying? Don't waste your trouble. We ought to have wisdom when trouble comes, when trials come for us to grow and to be more like Jesus. And folks, God has allowed some junk to come in our lives. God allows us to live in a sinful, perverted a world, a wicked world. The prince and power and ruler of this world is the devil. And folks, I want to tell you something. We need the grace of God. We need the grace of God to be sustained. There's saving grace. And folks, listen, there's sustaining grace. Your marriage will never make it without the grace of God. You'll never make it without the grace of God. He saves you and he sustains you. Trials should drive you to your knees. Trials to teach you 
to fall in the arms of your mate, not to get mad and sad and blue and down and out. And it's natural to do that. Some charismatics say, oh, I'll just praise God anyway. But I'm going to tell you something. Some things hurt so bad that all you can do is say, Lord, I can't handle this, but I praise God you know what you're doing. And God is good all the time. And I'm going to tell you why. Sometimes trouble's for chastening. If you've got sin in your life, the, the, your heavenly Father will wear you out. Somebody say amen. Amen. Has everybody been to the woodshed besides me? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he scourges and chases every son who sees it. And it says in verse 8, you're illegitimate if you do not receive chastening. You know that you're saved when you can't get away with sin. Say amen. And if you live in sin and you never get scourged and you never get chastened, you never lose peace of God, then you're probably not saved. But if you're saved, you can't get away with sin. He will make you miserable. But sometimes, sometimes trouble is because of chasing, but not always. I don't like these people that judge you and judge me and say, oh, you're having trouble? You must have sin in your life. You sound like Job's friends. And then second of all, sometimes it's for comfort. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, the comfort you receive, you comfort others. You know, you go through some things, for you to dig some wells in the valley of Baca. In other words, there's somebody going to be starving behind you. There's somebody that's going to look during the dark times and they're going to look to your testimony. And so the comfort you receive, the courage you receive not to quit, not to recant, not to shake your little fist at God and say, God, why me? Will give somebody some hope for the future. So not all troubles because of chastening, not all troubles for comforting, and conditioning for you to be a blessing. But I want to tell you something, if you go through trouble, people will, will respect that if you don't quit. And I want to tell you something, friends, I've seen a lot of people lose a baby and it ruins their marriage. I've seen a lot of people have financial reversal and it's, they split up as quick as they were united. And folks, trouble should drive us to our knees, but it ought to drive us to each other's arms. Say amen. And folks, I want to tell you something. It's heirs together of the grace of life. You'll be tested. And the reason you'll be tested is because all troubles for conforming. All troubles to make you more like Jesus. Give me wisdom, Lord, not to waste the trouble. Because an unstable man is, it, it will not get anything from God. God wants to stabilize you. God wants to humble you if you're full of yourself and pride. And God wants you to have a mate that'll pray with you and that'll love you when you're down, when you make a mistake. And folks, all the flesh can do is manipulate and have its little old way. But folks, trials will drive you to your knees. Trials should make you more like Jesus. You know what's sad? There's a lot of divorces caused by the sin of bitterness. Bitterness. They're bitter at daddy. They're bitter at mama. And they never can open their hearts to their mate because they haven't concluded that bitterness. Bitterness turned out as anger. Bitterness turned in as depression. 
But I want to tell you something, bitterness in the heart is not God's will. God should give you sustaining grace. Aren't you glad that God's given you grace over yourself and your selfishness and your vainglory or you wouldn't be married today? There ain't nobody on this earth could live with you in the flesh. But by the grace of God, you're a pretty good guy now. By the grace of God, you're a great wife now. And it's only by the grace of God. I wish people would get desperate for the will of God and the grace of God. You know, 65% of all marriages end in divorce that people cohabitate before they get married. Folks, this trial and error junk ain't the, ain't the answer. Pardon the expression. Folks, we need to have the will of God in our life and our dating relationship. We need to have the will of God in, in our intimate relationship. And that's for marriage only. Say amen. I just, I just feel led to say this, friend. You don't get closer to each other by manipulating and maneuvering and going with the world's style and the world what the world accepts. We need the grace of God. And the grace of God is holiness. And the grace of God is righteousness. And the grace of God is found in this book. And the grace of God will keep you in the boundaries of God's will and God's peace. Grace precedes peace. Third of all, I got to hurry. I see serving grace. Serving grace. Heirs together of the grace of life. Don't you want that kind of relationship? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6, please. You know it's the giving chapter. We just went over it in Sunday school, praise God. But I want you to read carefully with me verses 8 through 6. I mean, no, 6 through 9. 6 through 9. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he has begun, so he would also finish in you this same grace also. Listen to this. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. What grace? It says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the foreignness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Listen to this now. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, that ought to be the theme of our marriage, he became poor, and that through his poverty might be rich. And through his poverty you might be rich. Now, folks, the riches of God's grace is wonderful when expressed in marriage. There's giving grace. You cannot minister out of emptiness. By nature, you're a getter. But God's nature, you're a giver. By, God's, by your nature, you want to have everything for your, for your table and for your menu and for your appetite. But God's grace gives you the ability to minister and to love and even sacrifice yourself as a living sacrifice to your mate. And when two people are saved, filled with the Spirit of God, and die to self, they give to each other the grace of life. Heirs together of the grace of life. Do you get the picture? Without Christ, 
your marriage is just a marriage, but with Christ, it is dwelling together in the grace of life. Now, you just try it your way and see how it turns out. Just have your way, Frank Sinatra, and just see how it turns out. I got to have it my way. That's the theme of the world. But I want to tell you something, folks. We need to have it God's way, and God's way is grace. Giving grace. This grace also. And it's a, it proves the sincerity of your love if you give, as this giving chapter says, and it's an unspeakable gift. Thanks be to God for the unspeakable gift, as verse, chapter 9, verse 15 says. And so let me close by saying this. If you let the Spirit of God into your life and you yield to God the best you know how and you confess your sins daily and you live for God, you, you draw from the grace of God. And the grace of God, you dwell and your home becomes a dwelling place for the grace of God, saving grace, sustaining grace. When all things go wrong, there's still the grace of God that drives you to God and drives you to more more godliness and Christ-likeness. It isn't, the pressure doesn't pull you apart. It drives you together. It drives you to God. How many people are home sulking right now when they ought to be in the house of God praying? How many people are bitter right now and they're not going to church and they're shaking their fists at the lowliest preacher they can find in town? And folks, what they need to do is fall on their knees and say, God, help me to have grace. Grace. Grace to give, grace to serve. Then last but not least, we see grace to surrender. Surrendering grace. Surrendering grace. You could say forgiving grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, that great chapter about being dead, but the grace of God makes such a change in your life. And we all stop at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. But folks, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We're closing now. I won't keep you long. We're not waiting on the children, game time, and nothing else. We, we got free reign tonight, but I just want to be thorough because your marriage is at stake. And I want to tell you something, friend. The future, your relationship's at stake. Uh, you, might, you might not say, well, I need this, but I'm going to tell you something. Every couple needs it because every couple is going to be attacked by Satan sooner or later. And you that's been through the trauma of divorce, you ought to be the one say amen and louder than anybody. Not offended that the preacher had mentioned that Word, but thank God that you have a preacher that would warn others not to go down that path of selfishness, vainglory, manipulation. But we ought to be heirs together of the grace of life. But look at this, Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. The Bible says he saves you for a reason. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. What a walk in them. Now turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. I hesitate to say turn over. It sounds like you're going to turn over and go to sleep. But look at Ephesians chapter 4. Some of you look like you could do that on this cloudy Wednesday night. Had a hard day at the plan, hadn't you? Whew. Ephesians chapter 4. I was praying for God's grace to get up here tonight. I did some crazy things this week that a 70-year-old man shouldn't do. Oh, I can't even say that. Think about it. Ephesians 4.30. You better back up to verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, 
but that which is good to the use of what? Edifying. That it may minister grace unto the hearer. Now, who hears you the most? Your wife. Are you a gripe? Are you a complainer? Let me ask you this question. Can he do anything right? Can he do anything right? Let me ask you another question. Can she do anything right? You know, some people are God-ordained gripes, grumps, bears. I mean, hard to forbear. And I want to tell you something, that's not God's will. You can drain a person if you try to get all your significance from that person. You can drain a person if you try to get all your security from that person. You've got to get your significance, got to get your security from the Lord. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. You don't live for yourself. That's the grace of God. But look at verse 40. I mean, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. It says, minister grace, edify, but grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Here it is now. Let all bitterness, top of the list, isn't it? And wrath and anger. You saw, I'd never live in that. You will. You live in the flesh. And clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here's the verse I want to get to. And be ye kind one to another. I want to tell you what the grace of God does. It makes you more like Christ. And he's a loving, kind God. Look at this. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Let me close by saying this. Grace extended, grace expressed means forgiveness. Forgiveness. God's priests should never rent their robe. It's a death sentence, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 10. God's priests should never rent their robe. A king could rent their robe. An apostle could rent their robe. Hey, friend, um, Several people in the Bible rent their robes, but if a priest rent the robe, it's a death sentence because a priest is never without hope. And you are a priest. You're a royal priest. And folks, there's no time that you ought to give up, but you ought to give in to God's grace and forgive. How can you forgive? Well, here it is. And be ye kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Here's the standard. God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive. And you're never more like the devil than when you lie. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. I thought of this verse when you were singing Footsteps of Jesus. It says in 21, Ephesians chapter 2, I mean, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, And even here and too were ye called, because Jesus also suffered for us, leave it as an example that we should follow his steps. What steps? Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteousness who in his own self bear our sins, his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live in the righteous by whose stripes we're healed. But we're as sheep going astray, and we are now returned to the shepherd, the bishop of our soul. Do you see it? 
you're never more like Christ than when you yield to His grace and you forgive. You're never more like the devil and you're never more in the flesh than when you hold a grudge or you let a grudge hold you. You stop speaking. You stop giving. You stop loving. You go, uh, you go on strike. You stop cooking. You stop ministering. You stop loving. And there's a coldness in your house. It's unbearable. But thank God we can be heirs together of the grace of life. I don't know about you. I'll close right here. I got seven more points in a poem. But I need the grace of God to be a good husband. And my wife needs the grace of God to be a good wife. And I need the grace of God to be a good daddy. And I sure need to be the grace of God to be a good papa. And folks, I need the grace of God where it counts the most. In my home. Heirs together of the grace of life. Don't settle for anything less. Or you will regret it every day of your life. Every day of your life. Heirs together. 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 Pray together. Read your Bible together. Cry together. Hurt together. Serve together. Heirs together of the grace of life. How many of you know people that's heart is so hurt because they didn't take the Holy Spirit home with them? They married somebody that's full of themselves. And they were full of themselves. They tried to manipulate, maneuver, and physically try to work your things out. And now they're so sad and so lonely because they did not realize that marriage and spiritual oneness is heirs together of the grace of life. Father, use this message. Thank you, God. Uh, for another reason the family is so important. God, thank you for your definition of marriage. I'm sick and tired of the liberals and the humanists and the demon-possessed trying to rearrange marriage and redefine marriage and try to in-law the marriage, legislate marriage. God, I thank you for your definition. But I only thank you for your definition. I thank God for your divine power, the spirit of the living God flowing from one heart to another. Heirs together of the grace of life.